Hey, everybody, we're going to pick up our conversation we started last week. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and listen to that episode, and then you can listen to this episode. This is part two of a two-part series. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. You're trying to be the leader for everybody around you and you don't want to let anyone down. And so it's like, even when things are tough, you're just trying to like, you know, white knuckle it and, and, uh, you know, wake up every day and make things happen. So, so yeah, so I think that's very important. And I think a lot of, you know, especially men leaders, you know, it's like, they don't want to appear weak and they don't want to be vulnerable, but I think there's something, there's some power in that, you know, I think when we can let our guards down and be vulnerable with other people and, I think a lot of healing can take place in that, in that space. That's right. Yeah. It's a, it's a journey for sure. And it's one that's uh, every day for me as a decision uh, on how vulnerable I will choose to be because um, it's not something that I think will ever come naturally for me. Yeah. Um, it's a, an act of will every time to talk about things um, or expose myself emotionally in ways that, will let somebody see the rawest part of me. Yeah. And again, that's, that for me is like, ugh, it's so gross when I think about <laughs> doing that. And every time it's like, oh my gosh. But um, the rewards and really how my life changed over that next year, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would never go back. It's, it's, uh, it's absolutely stunning uh, what happened in my life uh, once, once I started yeah, what what were those steps? Like, what, so you're mad at it. Yeah, you're you're angry, and then you're mad at yourself, and then you're like broken. Right, and then so then what's the road to recovery? Like, what where does the you know path to healing? Yeah, so for me it was determining, and again I'm very determined. That's one of the the soft skills that I have. I'm a very determined human. So once I determined that I did not want to feel this lonely ever again, um, I and I knew the antidote, which was going to be vulnerability. Um, I, I forced myself in, uh, baby steps first at work, ironically, not at home, mm. but first at work to, um, answer more honestly when somebody asked me how I'm doing. Um, again, it wasn't like a floodgate. It's not like I spilled my guts when they're like, how are you feeling today? And I launched into all these things, but it was not fine, good, and okay, which were my favorite ways. Cause I didn't have to explain anything. Right. But sometimes I would just answer, I'd be like, you know, I'm having a rough day. And you know what? In that moment, that was incredibly, felt very vulnerable. Um, And I could tell instantly these people were like drawn in with that answer. Whereas fine, good, and okay left them nowhere to go um, in the conversation. This exposed something that allowed them to like step in, even in, in, like I said, a baby step way. What I realized was that I have such a, uh, uh, some people like to say larger than life personality and I'm loud and I'm opinionated and I, and I'm a fast mover and processor. And so I'm constantly moving. What I realized was that, um, I had taken away all the space for everyone else around me. Mm. I, I just, I will fill a space 
But what I learned through this next 12 months of really taking these baby steps was that the more I was willing uh, to be vulnerable, the more I was willing to let people in and see the messiest part of me, man, they filled those, they filled that gap with such amazing love and support. And they follow me and have followed me more for that than my command and control style, my strong, confident personality, because they now have a role to play. Mm. You know, it was interesting how my poor wife, I, I'm, I'm again, I'm loud. She's quiet. And, and so it's like, well, when we are, I, I just fill up all the space. And so, yeah. uh, just taking some time to invite her in. Um, she just would, she would have told you probably 10 years ago, she would have said, man, like Chris is Mr. And he's Superman. Like I, there's nothing I can do for him mm. because he's got it all. Well, the reality is that's just not true, but I just wouldn't give her anything to do for me. I wouldn't give her any vulnerability. I wouldn't ever say, well, I need your help. Um, and so talk about a game changer over the next 12 months, just change the uh, overall direction of my, my companies, uh, my wife's relationship where we celebrate 32 years this year. Um, and it has changed our course of our entire lives by just being faithful and being vulnerable. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's awesome. That's, it's really great. What, what about, uh, your relationship with your kids? You know, how, how did that like, uh, translate or, you know, how, how did you same, how are you same thing, you know, the, because as a parent, you feel like, well, I don't want to look like I'm weak. Like I want, I want yeah. to look up to me. Like, I don't want them to think like, Oh, my dad's got flaws, you know? <laughs> that's right. And my kids are older. And again, we started when we were 18 and 19. So I've got, um, I've got a 30 year old son. So they, they saw, um, they saw idiot dad, you know, as a kid, basically it's like, I don't know what I was doing. Um, and so I had nothing to hide for mm -hmm. them. It was more, uh, being able to talk about it and mm -hmm. just, and kind of let them into like, yeah, I mean, your dad, I mean, I was so young, I didn't know what I was doing and, um, having good conversations with them. So they understand, like, I'm just a human being trying to do his best every day and the title of dad or boss or owner or husband, those don't somehow make me better at those jobs by mm. having the title. Mm. Like that's just a label. I'm just, I, at the end of the day, I'm just Chris. I'm, I'm a guy who wakes up every morning, looks in the mirror, sees that chubby middle schooler, um, who can't, can't get a girlfriend who, you know, left off of all the sports teams. That's still the dude that shows up at work in my subconscious. Like I'm still that kid. Yeah. Um, and so even having those kind of conversations with my own kids has been very powerful for them to realize, yeah, this strong, confident guy that they perceive, that's just a facade. They're just a messy human on me, Sarah, like everyone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a cheat code for sure. Right. When you can recognize that, uh, that, that we're all just trying to figure life out. <laughs> like <laughs> from the top of the, you know, CEO to the bottom, it's like, that's it. We're, we're just all just trying to figure things out, you know? <laughs> yep. That's right. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about these four pillars of uh, a successful leader uh, or four pillars of successful leadership. So you have vision casting, empathy, empowerment, and exercising judgment. Can we yeah. kind of talk about each one of those and and maybe you kind of break each one down? Yeah. So the 
I, think of them as as two sets of two. So the first two. And then how did you where how did you come up with these? Like where where did this this come from? Yeah. Well, it really came down. Speaking of my kids, so it really kind of evolved from my having now more uh, or older now adult kids and realizing that my influence um, was waning. Uh, in fact, uh, really coming to the conclusion that I don't know that I really had influence or a mm-hmm. lot of influence in their life. What I had was authority. And so I wanted to shift from authority, this authoritarian, because I'm your dad, mindset to this mindset of influence. And influence, mind you, um, I define it this way. It's not what you say to someone. It's what they do with what you say. Mm-hmm. And so when you have true influence, it's this uh, you know idea that they're going to ask you a question. You're going to give that response. They're going to mull it over and then put it into action. Whereas like oftentimes we're, we're quick to advise, we're quick to direct, um, but we haven't been invited. And so these four leadership guiding principles, they get us to a place where it's, where it's hopefully being invited. And so the first two, um, the casting vision and the empathy, that is the investment that we make into another human so that they will ask us for influence. So I, I like to say that these four leadership guiding, guiding principles really kind of reflect this idea of invest to influence. I invest into these relationships every single day. And one day they will turn around and say, uh, man, thank, thank you. And then help me. Mm. And that's when you know you're at a place as a leader, as somebody who's influential and not just kind of authoritarian or opinionated. And you're willing to put your opinion toward every scenario that you come across. But waiting for those moments when you're invited in uh, to a, a, a problem-solving uh, session or, or a brainstorming session. So that's how I kind of break that down. So the first one is casting vision. Um, casting vision, real quickly, for me, isn't about um, uh, kind of identifying the future for somebody. It's really taking an idea of what the future will look like and and putting that inside of another person so that they think it's their idea. Mm. It, it's kind of like inception. So the, the, the concept yeah. is like, let me, let me paint this for you in a way that you now take ownership. Mm. See, w- we often put the onus uh, of vision casting on the, on the person who's supposed to be catching. Right. It, the onus is on the vision caster. Um, you take a fisherman out and they, they have a, a rod and reel and they're casting in the same spot 150 times in a row and catching those fish. We would just say they're a terrible fisherman. But we do the same things with vision casting. We, we say the same thing 80 times and hope everybody catches what we're throwing out there, but we're not really identifying it or, or saying it more individually to them so that they catch it and then own it going forward. So vision casting is a, yeah, a way to really serve your people well. And, and, and so you're saying that it's the idea of modifying the way that you're casting that vision in order to you know, plant the seed. So then it grows up within that person. And then now they're kind of on board and they're not just following you, your, your dictatorship, but they're like, like behind you and, and, and like a part of, of the vision, you know, they're, they're like become a one part of the vision yeah, and can actually take that vision to the next level because they, it's now their vision of the future. I mean, so how, how do you know where to adjust or like, you know, you, you, as, as businesses, right, we have our vision statement, our mission statement, all these things, you know, how do we know if people are connecting with it or how do we know that we're, we need to adjust it or what does that look like? 
Yeah. So the vision casting, think of it this way, a picture's worth a thousand words. And so your picture of the future typically isn't stagnant. It's probably ever evolving. Um, and so what, so now if you think about a picture's worth a thousand words, the vision's worth probably 2 billion words. And so therefore it's something you have to talk about mm. every single day and in a way that invites them to contribute to that vision. So it's, um, it's a constantly evolving process, but what it does is it needs to be a part of absolutely everything uh, that you're doing every single day. So if you've got a project, if you've got a task, if you've got a purpose statement that you've written for the company, if you've gotten an overall direction written down somewhere, you need to make sure that you're saying it so many different ways and you're inviting them to say it on their own and in, in their own way hmm. so that you can, by the way, judge to see how much of the vision they've caught. It needs to be part of every single day, um, hashing it over. This is a scary stat. It takes 17 times to cast a vision in different ways, 17 different ways to cast a similar vision, uh, in order for someone to catch 20% oh. of the future that you want them to find. Yes. So it should be, it should be just a massive part of how you invest into your team and your organization is by casting that vision over and over and over and over again. Okay. I mean, I, I hear that and I, I think that's great. So I guess my other question would be then is like, how, how do you come up with your vision? You <laughs> do it. I, I would do it not in isolation, but I would do it with a team of people, the, the same team of people that you have, um, you know, working alongside you now is to get them out of their every day, pull them into a scenario by which you guys can dream together. Like, where do we want to go? What do we want to get done? And then do that on a regular basis because that vision needs to be changing every single day based on new information that flows to you and your organization. And so we, we have dream sessions that we'll sit, uh, usually like at least once a month and we'll, we'll sit down and kind of sketch out on a board exactly where we want to go and why. Like, what does this look like in a month from now, two months from now? Um, what do we want each job to look like? How, how do we want this to kind of feed back into our overall purpose uh, statement with our company? So we do a lot around those kinds of conversations uh, where you get to dream together. Mm. Yeah, I, that's great. And I think it's just a different way of looking at things because I think, um, you know, typical like in the past, right? Like leaders are like, do it this way, do it how I say and you know, do it now. Right. And, and you see this too with, with, with when COVID happened and, and people started working from home, you know, and then people trying to force people to come back to the office. And, and it's, it's like, Hey, like, did you see how productive people were, you know, being able like, if you just trusted them for a little bit cause you had to, and then all the work yeah. got done still, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think that, uh, I think that, man, that's just something really powerful there. If, if you can get people, to, to be invested by allowing them to come up with what the, the vision is, then it's like everyone's more excited about their job. They're rejuvenated yeah. as far as, you know, the direction that the company's going. And then they're all in on to go above and beyond to make this vision a success. Yeah, we call that psychological ownership. Once they have it, then we now have shared faith. Hmm. Yeah. Like, um, and there's nothing better than shared faith. Yeah. Uh, organizational health uh, is dependent upon it. And so 
now just kind of like uh, two soldiers in a foxhole together. They have shared faith. They both want to be alive um, as this battle ensues. And so uh, you can have purpose statements. You can have mission statements. You can do all these fancy business things. At the end of the day, they're going to be in a foxhole looking out for the guy next to them. And that's really what you want. Um, you want to set aside kind of the trappings of uh, a business plan and really dream and dream together and make sure that everybody's bought in and has psychological ownership of, of where we're going and why. Yeah. All right. So we have our, our vision casting and then empathy. So empathy is one of those things that took me a long time to really learn how to do this well. I thought empathy and sympathy were very s- similar. Mm-hmm. The way I describe it is this. When somebody's in front of me in my office uh, or at home and they describe a scenario or a situation, what I really try to do is understand um, their emotion um, or what they're feeling in that moment. Then uh, in order to be empathetic, I have to find a time in my life where I felt something similar. So if they're discouraged, remember a time when I felt discouraged and then go back and relive it. And for me, again, you're talking to a guy who converted every emotion into anger. So it's really hard for me to catalog these moments because I just did everything I could not to feel, mm. but I can go back and do the hard work of, of finding a time where I was discouraged and then pull that scenario back up and relive it so that I'm discouraged again, so that I can enter into discouragement with them. And in that moment now, they're no longer alone emotionally. It might just be sitting there with them. Uh, It might be just saying, I'm sorry. It might be, uh, again, we're not trying to fix it. We're not trying to make it better. We're just simply entering into the same emotion that they're feeling with them in that moment. There is a scene, the best way I can describe it is this. There's a scene in uh, Band of Brothers uh, in the European theater and it covers this time when their um, Colonel Winter or, or Winters is taking his men into this village, and they've won the conflict. But there's this one soldier who, uh, in the middle of the battle, gets he's has, he's blind; he, he can't see anymore. And but he goes to the field medic, and the field medic's like, "Dude, there's nothing wrong with you." He's like, "I don't know what to tell you. I can't see." So then Winters, who's the commander uh, or the guy in charge, he he gets shot in the foot. So he's getting his leg banged up. And while he's in there, he asks the field medic, what's wrong with that guy? And he's like, well, he's blind, but I don't know why. So he walks over to him. Now, <clears throat> the way I would have done it, pre-empathy, <laughs> it's like, what is wrong? Get up right. and get out there. Stop being like, what baby. is wrong with you? There's nothing wrong yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> Suck it up. You're fine. And so when this happened, when this, when the, I watched it and this happened, I melted because um, it was absolutely amazing. Winter sits down next to him and he puts his hand on his shoulder and he goes, that was pretty scary out there, wasn't it? And the guy is immediately like fearful because now Winters is there and it's his commanding officer and he's going to get, feels like he's going to yell that, but Winters just empathizes with him. And within a few minutes, his, his hysterical blindness goes away. Mm. Well, he went away because he was able to move away from his lizard brain. This is the part of the brain that tells us fight or flight. And you get back into like logic brain. But I, I always wanted to skip right to the logic brain, like mm-hmm. with all my, with my employees, with my poor wife, I just wanted to skip to fixing it. Mm-hmm. The most valuable thing I can do for my employees, for my family, for everybody that I'm in community with is to be able to enter into empathy. 
make them feel like they're not alone. Yeah, and that's I think one of the a hard a hard thing to do as a leader, um, especially as things are moving so fast and you're trying to do these things and trying to grow and all these other kind of things. It's like to slow down enough. Slow to, down. To be empathetic is hard. And I think um, for me personally, I think one of the hard things is that, you know, I came from a hard life, you know? And so mm-hmm. for me, I struggle with empathy because I'm like, man, I, I came from the gutter and I worked myself up to here. Like, come That's on, right. like, stop being a baby. Like, let's yeah. go, you know? Let's and go. So, <laughs> I think it's one of those things for me, it's hard, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's extra practice, you know, for me to like slow down. And even with my kids, you know, just being empathetic, it's like, they're so privileged and, you know, they're, and their dad doesn't yes. yell at them or beat them or anything like that. And it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, come on guys, stop complaining. Like, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. I'm, I move at the speed of light. And so it's really just hard for me to be present. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to be empathetic, you have to be super present. And, um, yeah, it's, a uh, it's something that I have to work at every single day. The vision casting, I'm I'm better at. The empathy, it, it's really, really difficult to yeah. prioritize it um, amongst all the other things that as a leader, you feel like you, you should be doing. And then we have empowerment and exercising judgment. Yeah. So empowerment is my favorite, man. It's like, you can do it. You got this. Um, in fact, I usually want to move there right away. It's like, you got it. And they're like, where are we going? I'm like, oh yeah, I got a vision cast. <laughs> And Bo, by the way, like, I don't really, you know, I don't really feel like it today. That's fine. We, you got it. Yeah. So I, the empowerment part is easy for me. It's that encouragement. It's like really making sure that you're pointing out why they have it though. Um, and so we've really focused on soft skills and really try to get them to understand like determination, uh, work ethic, uh, kindness, compassion, um, loyalty, patience, mm-hmm. all those things are why you have it. That's what makes you you. That's what makes you unique, and and with the ability to get done what we need to get done. Right. Um, I think a lot of leaders want to go right to hard skill, mm-hmm. um, and hard skills are fantastic. But when delivered with no soft skills, they really are useless. Right. It's the one guy who's best at sales, but nobody wants to be around him. Right. We use the we. I call it the phone call um, test. If you get a phone call and you look at the name. And who's calling you? And your immediate reaction is like, oh, okay, <laughs> that person, there, there's some soft skills that are missing in that yeah. relationship because they may be amazing at their job, but you don't want to take that call. Right. And I, I mean, I would, as a leader, I'd take, I'd take soft skills over hard skills. I'm like, oh, we can teach hard skills, you know, exactly. soft skills are the things that, that are baked into someone's, you know, wiring, you got it's, it. it's a lot harder to teach those than it is something of, of like a certain task or something like that. So, yeah, exactly. We, we say hard skills require information, hard skill, or soft skills require transformation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still right now transforming into a kind person. Yeah. Like it's really, I just have to be very self-aware and I have to work on it and be disciplined in order to be like overtly kind um, yep. to someone. And so I'm transforming well, into doing, a kind you're doing person. A good job because your demeanor to me is just very kind. Like, well, thank you. Like when when uh, you said you were an eight, I was like, I know some eights, dude. You don't have the eight energy. <laughs> what? So good job. That, thank you. Know, you. Keep going. <laughs> I, I, that's easy. very encouraging. See, that's very empowering. 
Mm. And you see, that's, that's how you can get someone to keep going down a difficult journey is when you give them those words of encouragement that allow them to understand what their full potential is. Mm. Um, I say in this scenario, um, you trade your power, especially as a leader, I trade my power for their greatness and their greatness are things like are all their soft skills mm-hmm. and unleashed on this world. It will do more in their lives than they could have ever imagined. And they just need that empowerment uh, from their leader. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. All right. Exercising judgment. Now this is where we take all that stuff and, and That's right. put it in. Yeah. It's where most leaders want to start, right? Mm-hmm. De- making decisions. Um, it's the, it's the buck stops with me. I will, I will be willing to make a decision for the organization um, because that's my job to do. Um, but I will do it as an act of service, not as an act of authority. And so we really try to teach our leaders that when you come to this place of having to make decisions, do it with a servant's heart. Don't create uh, organizational whiplash. Don't make decisions um, in isolation, on the fly, in a way that just leaves people wondering what happened and devastated. It should be the last possible aspect of what you do because you've earned it. You've earned the influence of decision-making mm-hmm. based on all the investment that you made into every single one of your employees. So we, we save that one for the last to say, like the, the term kind of indicates when you talk about like a chief executive officer, that means that's the chief executor. They're the ones that have to make a final decision when the rest of their C-suite wants to argue and bicker about the the best move going forward. Somebody finally has to say, this is what we're doing and why. So be willing to make decisions. Don't lead with decision-making. That's great. I have a question. So when you got your contract from your parents, you know, did you have to build your team or did it come with some, some team members? Like, you know, how did you go about like starting that process? Yeah. So I had a, my best friend, Jason, yep. who joined me. And then there was one other, I call, I say girl, uh, Tabitha Calloway, who was 22 at the time we launched uh, in Texas. And the three of us, yeah, launched that business uh, in 2011. We, uh, you know, I was going to lose about $200,000 in that first year. I did lose $200,000 in that first year. And yeah, just tried to scratch and claw my way uh, from nothing. Yeah. So... Uh- I have another question for you. This is a little bit off topic in some ways, but I'm assuming you're a man of faith. I am. And so I, I, there's one thing I've struggled with. So, you know, I consider myself a Christian and I would say that one thing I've struggled with throughout the years is the balance between, you know, faith and in that hustle grind culture, right? Because I feel like entrepreneurs, it's all about like how, how, how much effort can I put into something? How much can I white yeah. knuckle something to make it work and to like make things happen, you know? That's and right. And then there's an element of my faith where it says, hey, trust, you know, expect, yeah. you know, like be at peace, rest. And I, so I feel like it, it's just, it's been a constant battle, you know, for the past seven years of like trying to walk between. It's like, well, Gary Vaynerchuk tells me to do this, but then Jesus tells me to do this. Like, who do I listen to? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a constant tension. I mean, it never goes away. Mm -hmm. Like, um, we, we talk about this idea or I call it the myth of work-life balance, Mm -hmm. you know, work in my, uh, 
opinion is a part of life. It's, so it's not about mm-hmm. balancing them. It's about integrating them mm-hmm. in a way that allows your family to have a say, to have your coworkers to have a say, uh, your boss to have a say. At the end of the day, though, you kind of need to define for yourself those guardrails. And so the way we do that with, um, again, uh, business is to create purpose uh, and then guiding principles. We'll do the same thing for yourself personally is to figure out like, what are the things that you want to define, to define yourself by? And oftentimes that's based on how you spend your time. And so, uh, a great book, uh, the one thing written by Gary Keller, uh, years ago really helped me understand how to really do well in leveraging time. Another one is by Jordan Rayner called redeeming the time and both amazing books that helped me understand it's not about right and wrong. It's about, it's about understanding like seasons of life and then being faithful. So being faithful to whatever I, uh, again, in community want to be held accountable to based on the use of that time and how people would define me. So if all they saw me was working, well, I'd be a workaholic. If all they saw me uh, is at home, then I'd be kind of a lazy yeah. person never going to work. So it's like both extremes I don't want. Hmm. So I want something in the middle there. And so I have to work, you know, every week to kind of figure out like, how do I want this to land? And how do I want other people to define, um, you know, my life based on how I spend my time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure too. I mean, so, so what are you doing now? I mean, what you, know, you have this book coming out in October and, uh, you know, you, you have these co-working spaces, uh, yeah, it's so the so the list of things is pretty broad. Yeah. So <laughs> here's what I'll do is I'll break on. it down for you this way. When I realized um, that um, I was emotionally alone and, and decided to become really employee centric and and become vulnerable, uh, I realized that I was the glass ceiling um, for anything that I wanted to accomplish uh, in life. And so by being vulnerable and allowing people in. Over the next five to six years, what happened was people, and, and I traded my power for their greatness. What happened is people showed up in absolutely amazing ways, and now they run all these companies for me. And so now I, am, uh, I have worked so hard over the last eight years to transform and then also become completely unnecessary in, in all of my businesses. Mm. And that was an act of will every day to know less and to trust more, trust people more. And so here I am now at the end of those eight years. And the reality is the only thing that I have to do are um, writing podcasts um, and uh, these conferences that we put on. So a lot of speaking and writing all about leadership and and the, the, the road back from loneliness and isolation. Mm. So you're, you're living the dream. <laughs> I, I feel like I am. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a nightmare to get here. Yeah. Um, and I mean yeah. that in the best way possible. Yeah, no, I know. too Because it's like, h- how do you even have the knowledge or experience if you didn't go through all those hardships? Yeah. You know, if you didn't go through all that pain and suffering and growth, it's like, well, then you would never have the knowledge to write the books, to encourage other exactly. people. And, you know, I get asked like, oh, well, you know, if you could not have gone through that situation, would you take it back? And I said, well, yeah. I mean, if I look into a situation, I say I would never want someone to go through something like that. But in the same way, I know that if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be who I am today. And so then it's like this paradox, you know, where it's like, all right, well, I, I'm at peace with with where I'm at and, you know, where I came from, you know? 
Yep. I, I wouldn't change a thing and I wouldn't w- wish it on my worst enemy. Yeah, man. Yep. Well, listen, I know uh, we've had a great conversation and time is just flown by. Cool. Keep talking. I feel like I'll yeah. be, I'll be uh, hopefully able to, to see in person in October. Absolutely. I look forward and, to it, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I said, my cousin lives out there, so I'm going to be able to hang out with him and, and then hopefully get uh, some inspiration. So I'm looking forward to cool. that. I'm trying to get Ben to come out too with me. So, hey, if people wanted to connect with you or, you know, find out more about your books and things like that, where's where's the best place to, to hook up? Yeah, a couple different places, dcxcommunity.com as well as chrismaroff.com. And then for your listeners, we're also uh, doing a promo code, uh, DCXUnity. And I think that'll get them 15% off of uh, a live stream ticket uh, for the conference uh, this October with Pat Lencioni, uh, Tim Tebow will be there, and a whole host of uh, great speakers. So uh, it'll be a a great event. Yeah, that's... I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, hey, you know, we usually like to leave everybody with um, one action item, you know, to say, hey, starting Monday, just focus on this one thing. What, what, if you could leave somebody with an action item, what would that be? So I'll leave you with this. Um, the, the one thing that I did, because I like, I like action items. Uh, people have accused me of being a thought leader, and I'm like, I'm not a thought leader. I'm an action leader. So here's what I would, here's what I would say as a, as a leader. Um, is to start using the phrase, I don't know, and I need your help a lot. Um, invite people in. Um, uh, it will it will strengthen and build you up in ways you've never experienced. That's fantastic. That's great. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. Go to thefridayhabit.com. Um, there you'll find show notes for this episode. Uh, you can also find links to our website and ways to get in touch. And at the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit system that will show you how to set aside one full day each week to dedicate working on your business instead of in your business. Uh, If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you have a question or a topic you'd like us to discuss, leave us a voice memo at hello at thefridayhabit.com. And until next time, remember, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.